They do have a timeout. Decide not to use it. Curry, way downtown. Bang! Bang! Oh, what a shot from Curry! Fans of the Faceoff, welcome back to a return of the pod. Jake Lapin here along with Julian McKenzie. It is good to be back, boys and girls. Long time coming. Julian, how you doing, my man? I haven't seen your face in so long. I missed you, buddy. What are you doing? What's up? You're in New York. We're in New Jersey now. It, uh, okay, yeah. I'm in New York as of right now. Okay, you're uh, in New York. Working in Jersey. Well, let's, that's a good idea. Let's do a quick life update on the two of us. Uh, we finished up at Syracuse. That's why we haven't been doing podcasts in a while, as that would, that would explain it. Um, I had six more weeks than you did, obviously. And now I am with MLB Network as a broadcast associate, started last week. And living in NYC, working in Secaucus in Jersey, but here and living in New York in my New York apartment right now is the new backdrop for the face-off. And what about you, Julian? What have you been up to? So for me, uh, I moved back home after uh, school was over. I uh, picked up a job as a, a part-time researcher for the uh, the CBC. And if you're obviously uh, familiar with our Canadian networks, uh, the CBC is our public broadcaster. So I work for the uh, CBC Montreal affiliate as a researcher for uh, the morning shows on the radio stations. So I uh, do research for the morning show, CBC Daybreak, uh, CBC Home Run, and uh, I've also done a bit of work for the show based in Quebec City, Quebec uh, AM. So basically, I just book guests and research topics. Sounds great. Would love to hear about it some more another time, but unfortunately, we cannot spend the entire return of the pod focusing on Montreal and the Expo is no longer existing. We'll get to some baseball. I'll start back now, of course, but we got to start with what has been perhaps like maybe the most intriguing NBA offseason since the decision. Uh, yeah, I can agree with that. Wait, maybe not even when uh, LeBron came back? When LeBron came back was also a big deal. But it was a big deal. The first time, I mean, come on, there was people burning jerseys, for God's sakes. It wasn't the same when he went back. It was more of like a, oh, that's nice kind of thing. But this summer, lots of big names on the move, all seemingly headed toward the West. And Julian, this is a little bias here, but we're going to start with one of the first moves that was made. It was actually a trade, and that was Chris Paul to my Houston Rockets. I want your thoughts on this first. So the guy who we regard as arguably the best point guard of the last few years no doubt in our minds, in anyone's minds, he's a Hall of Fame player, says, you know what, I'm going to go to Houston, and the Clippers execute this trade, and he ends up in an outstanding offense uh, with the coach of the year and an MVP candidate alongside him 
in, in James Harden. And people are kind of worried about, I mean, this is what I was seeing from the initial reaction. People were worried about, oh no, you had Harden working out at point guard. Now you have another point guard there. What are you going to do? Trust in Daryl Morey, man. You don't make these trades without having a little bit of common sense and thinking, hey, you know what? Can these two guys coexist? I mean, once upon a time, James Harden was killing it at the two spot, right? You know better than I do, right? He was killing it at the two spot. He was a great player. There, there's, there's, there's definitely a reason. There's definitely, he's definitely going to be fine there. And to have Chris Paul at point, and you know this just as better, as just as good as I do, uh, that uh, that Mike D'Antoni said that uh, there's going to be, there's not going to be too many instances, if at all, we're not going to have at least one of them on the floor. This could really work. This could really work for the Houston Rockets. This could be a dynamite partnership between two two guys who I understand they're they're going to want the ball to a certain extent, but I mean they're going to find a way to share it. You don't have two dynamic players not coexisting. I I just I just think it just this just in my mind two dynamic players like Harden and and Paul. I have I think this is just going to work. I mean Paul is in a situation where. He's on a team that could maybe get out of round two. And as a distributor, I think he's going to work well in that offense. And James Harden, I don't think he minds at all if he's going to have to play at the two position. Once upon a time, uh, back when he was up at, uh, well, you know, once upon a time, he, he did want to not play point. He really wanted, like, Ty Lawson there. So just to kind of offset and just be more of a slasher type like he was at OKC. This is fine. This is going to be fine. This, that's my thoughts and feeling about it. I think Houston is going to do really well with this move. I mean, look, Lawson was an absolute disaster. But, yeah, uh, a big disaster, but I mean, like... Chris Paul. Chris Paul, obviously, better than Ty Lawson at many things. A massive upgrade. But it's, it's a little bit perplexing because we're in a situation where we just found out that James Harden is awesome with the ball in his hands at all times, let him run the point guard, and he'd have the greatest offensive season in the history of the sport. Like, that just happened. And now, all of a sudden, we're saying, okay, let's bring in the point god, Chris Paul, a guy who also demands the ball at all times. That's the only way he operates. So it's a little bit perplexing at first, but obviously – it, it goes further than that. I mean, both guys have outwardly said they wouldn't mind playing off the ball more. I don't know, at least give them some more rest. I think D'Antoni, one of the first things he said on the day they announced the trade was that they will have an elite point guard handling the ball for all four, 48 minutes of every game, which is exactly what I wanted to hear because you need to stagger these guys and both give them their opportunities to do their thing with the ball in their hands. And – Lastly, is what Daryl Morey said is his strategy right now is to get as many USA basketball players on his team as he can, as in Team USA, obviously. Yes. We've reached an era in the NBA where if you're going to compete with the Warriors, you have to stockpile talent on talent on talent, and then you can worry about the fit and the dynamics and personality clashing and all that later. He got – another top 10 player in the NBA. That's the bottom line for right now. And he has the coach of the year, Mike D'Antoni, who revolutionized the sport in terms of offense at the helm. I think D'Antoni will figure out a way, maybe not right away, but he will figure out a way 
to get these two to coexist into an insane offensive unit on the court with or without Mello or Ryan Anderson to be determined. It does sound like Mello is coming. We'll get to that in just a second because you know me. I, I've, I've never been shy to talk about Mello. That's a guy you don't even consider to be a top 50 player. Why are you hyping up Mello all of a sudden? No one, no one said 50. I said 40. And I will defend slash qualify that in a little bit. But last thing I want to say on Paul and Harden is just if D'Antoni can somehow find a way here, – here's how I imagine it. it was, if you literally divide the court in half and you're playing three on three and you have Harden and Paul waiting to run a pick and roll, you're going to have shooters in the corners. You're going to have Ariza. You're going to have Gordon, potentially Anderson or Mello, and then Capella catching lob after lob. I think – they can find a way to make this work where every single defender has to be ready and has to react to multiple spots on the floor, depending on where you space your shooters and just dividing that court in half and having two pick and roll guys ready to go. I think it could be lethal once they kind of figure out all the uh, kinks and gears. That's my take on it. I don't think, like I said, I don't think it's going to, they're going to gel right away. And I, they did lose a lot of pieces like look Lou Williams. I mean, they only had him for half a year. Good guy to come in and hit some shots off the bench, but they have a better six man in, in Eric Gordon than Lou. Williams. Exactly. exactly. They already have that man and that six man in Eric Gordon, like you said, and Sam Decker, nice young potential, but he wasn't really helping them last year. He actually got hurt in the playoffs and it didn't even before the playoffs. And it didn't even really matter for the most part. And then, you know, Nene's coming back. I like that. But they, they also – they shipped off Patrick Beverly. And Patrick Beverly was perhaps – he was easily a Houston fan favorite, one of my favorite players for sure. You love his tenacity. And he's been often noted as a guy as you love him if he's on your term, on your team, you hate him if he's on another team. I don't feel that way at all. He's on the Clippers, and I still love him. I think he gets a bad rap because he hurt Russell Westbrook and he gets in fights – on the floor, but off the floor, I think he's an outspoken guy that people don't realize because they don't see him off the floor. He's a, a good person who fought his way into the NBA, played overseas, uh, was ignored after being drafted late in the second round, didn't make the team out of training camp in L.A., and he scrapped and fought his way into the NBA, and that's the only way he knows how to play now, and I think he's unfairly judged as his on-court personality also representing his off-court personality when that's completely far from the truth. So Patrick Beverly will be missed. But that's a piece you give up in a heartbeat to get Chris Paul. Mm -hmm. That's what happened. I got to say, okay, one thing, though. The Rockets, with the team they have now, in a series against Golden State, how far does Houston go? I mean, I think... I don't think anyone's jumping over the moon saying Houston's going to somehow upset Golden, upset Golden State. Is it a five? Is it six now? Is it seven? I think it's six. Yeah, I'd, I'd say somewhere between five and six, probably even closer to five. They're still not even near Golden State in terms of on paper, not to mention all the time Golden State has had to gel. They have another year of chemistry under their belt now with Durant, like they're only going to get better. It's not like they're going to deteriorate. They're going to get better as they get more and more chemistry. And it's just also, I think Steve Kerr started to figure out towards the end of the final set, 
that Steph and Durant pick and roll is literally unstoppable. And I think the only reason he didn't use it that much is because it just wasn't that fun winning by 30 every single game. Honestly, that's how good it is. And I think the Warriors, like I said, I, I've, I, you, I've said this on Twitter, and you can quote me on this. I think the next team to win the Western Conference other than Golden State will be Minnesota. And I think that's in like six years down the line. I really do. Wow. I really do. But in the meantime, the Rockets had James Harden. They figured, you know what? We're going to extend this guy. Massive extension, by the way. And I'm, I'm very much okay with it. I can get your thoughts on that in a second. But we got a guy who's a top five player in the league. We're not going to roll over and die. And our only other option is to acquire whoever else we can to try and take down Goliath. And while I don't think it'll work in the end, I think it was the only choice the Rockets had to make, and so that's what they did. Pretty much. I mean, the it, having a guy like James Harden, and now you find yourself in a position where you have Chris Paul, you are automatically a top three team in the Western Conference. You're not some middling team in four, five, six trying to find a way to beat Goliath. The Houston Rockets, with this lineup, are, are guaranteed to compete pretty much every single year. And I mean, hey, who's to say uh, the injury bug doesn't somehow strike the Golden State Warriors at an inopportune time, and all of a sudden a series that's supposed to go 5-6 ends up being 7, and oh, whoa, did Houston just upset Golden State because Kevin Durant wasn't in or Steph Curry wasn't in? Of course you're going to get the Warriors haters who are going to cry, and, and they're going to be like, oh, we didn't have our best player. Maybe but- Maybe Kent Paisley hits us up and says, you know, hey, you know, we didn't have Steph Durant. We're to, you know, Kent Paisley. We're to the the Paisley par, by the way. i got to plug him. But anyway, no, the Houston Rockets, all I'm saying is they're a top quality team in that Western Conference, which is stacked enough as it is. They can they can fight in the series against Golden State. They might not beat them, but I think they have a team that could, that could very well fight against them in a conference final, mind you. Yeah, I think they're at least – Built to prevent 16 and 0 from happening again, which, so. or excuse me, 12 and 0, I guess, to get to the finals, 16 and 1 total. But yeah, I, I mean, look, you, you could, of course, you could get, oh, blah, 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 was injured, Durant was injured, Steph was injured. Look, the Rockets' only championships were when Michael Jordan was playing baseball. So I like Rockets fans, I'm sure, are used to hearing that, but at least they were prepared. You know, other teams can do it too it, if someone gets injured. That's not really a valid excuse outside of Golden State, I don't think, to, to take away from a team to win in this era that will be so dominated by Golden State. And this is all hypothetical, of course, talking about injury. The last thing I want to say about this is it's interesting because there are a lot of Harden versus Kawhi arguments in comparisons, and I think they're all valid. I think you can make a very good case for either being better than the other but in this instance, Kawhi Spurs, even with Kawhi injured, took down Harden in a very disappointing end of the series for both Harden and the Rockets, just completely disappeared with Kawhi injured in overtime game five and then a miserable game six. That makes me want that makes me sick just even talking about it. Damn. But I think it's interesting. I think it's worth noting that even though Kawhi Spurs won that series, Harden's Rockets won the CP3 sweepstakes. CP3 was also very much considering going to San Antonio, where I think he would have been a great fit. I think him and Popovich could have done some scary things with that system. 
and he decided to go to Houston instead and play with Harden. And I think it's more of a dynamic personality and friendship banana boat type of thing, whatever you want to call it. But I think Harden seriously has that in his favor over Kawhi, if that's the only thing he has in his favor over Kawhi, which I don't think it is. But even if you were going to argue such, I don't think you could argue that in this instance, in this NBA where GMs kind of take a step back and the players decide what they want to do, LeBron and Wade and Bosch all decide they want to play together. I think Harden has a serious advantage on Kawhi in that regard. I, I really want to kind of delve in on this, but I, I realize we can't do a whole podcast delving into the Houston Rockets, but all I'll just, all I'll say is that I'm okay, I'm okay with it. Like, you can't do that. I'm not feeding into your homerism. All I'll say is that if the Rockets play the Spurs this in, in the coming playoffs, the Rockets will beat the Spurs in a seven-game series. It may not even go seven. It may just be six. But I think the Rockets will beat the Spurs. The lie. The Spurs. The Spurs might not even get out of round two this year. Julian says Rockets will beat the Spurs in seven. July thirteenth, eight forty-eight. Mark it down, everybody. Yep. Let's move on to a few more moves. I think the next biggest one here is Paul George going to OKC for scraps. For scraps. I mean, we just spent an entire season talking about how terrible the Thunder role players are. And they get Paul George for Sabonis, Oladipo, and no picks, Julian. Not even a pick. Explain that to me. How does that happen? It's the funniest thing in the world. And you know you, we all laughed at once that trade happened? Danny Ainge. Danny Ainge, who had all these picks. And I thought, hey, you know, and remember all those Boston Celtics fans who thought, hey, man, we can go get Paul George. Hey, man, we can go get Jimmy Butler. They still ended up with, with Gordon Hayward, but Come on, man. You just get you get Paul George, a dynamic player who, yes, he said he was thinking of going to L.A., but now he's backtracking on it and saying, you know what, I'd be crazy to leave a winning situation in OKC, which is the right thing to say. I'm sure for a negotiation standpoint, but just in general, just the right thing to say. <laughs> it's just hilarious. Think about it. Think about it. Even worse, if Paul George says, you know what, I like OKC enough that I want to sign an extension. Oh my God, that trade ends up being a lot worse in my mind. I mean, look, Indiana loses a franchise player in Paul George. And it's one thing if you lose him for, uh, I don't know if this, this deal, this rumor deal ended up being real or not, but like four first round picks. That was like a rumor that had spread about like the Atlanta Hawks offering four first rounders for Paul George. But it's one thing to lose a franchise player for a deal like that, or you offer up such a haul uh, for a guy like that. Maybe maybe something on the, on the heels of the Clippers uh, Rockets trade for CP3. But you lose a franchise player like Paul George for a depth forward in Victor Oladipo. And imagine he signs off. I mean, and, and he ends up killing it in OKC. I'm not saying he's going to end up winning championships, spoiler alert, but come on, man. Like, so disappointing in my mind. If I'm an Indiana Pacers fan, especially if Paul George stays in OKC, I'm sour at the fact that you don't get more for Paul George. And, and, and Kevin Pritchard, the GM there, his hands are practically tied because his asset pretty much says, you know what, I want to go to L.A. I want out. He, he pretty much, you know, clears out the mystery here. I mean, part of me still feels he'll still go to L.A., but now if he actually stays in OKC, 
wow, if you're an Indiana Pacers fan, you get jerked. You're getting jerked around. But I mean, it's going to work out for OKC though. I don't know how how good do you think OKC really is now? Do you think they can contend with the Warriors or Rockets or Spurs? Do you think they're even in that top four echelon? I think they have a chance of fighting to be a top five team. I mean, the Warriors are there. The the the, the Rockets are still in my mind. Like I said, they're number two. Uh, right. you never count out the San Antonio Spurs, uh, even though the, uh, the Utah Jazz have lost Gordon Hayward. They're 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 looking to stock up their roster as well. That's a team that's also going to fight in that top five. The Clippers are going to probably fall out, so that will probably help uh, OKC. But that's not a team in my mind that's saying, you know what, they're going to the finals this year. They're going to the conference final this year, and they have arguably the most exciting player in the game in Russell Westbrook. I mean, he can only do so much by himself, and Paul George will help offset some of that that workload. As dynamic as both those two players are, see, here's the thing: Houston has those two amazing players, but they have the best coach. They have the coach of the year and outstanding uh, core of role players who are able to distribute the ball and shoot. And they're shooters. OKC, it's not the same core. You're not going to get the same type of results there. Different teams, obviously, but that's that's a team that you know. If they're a top five team, that's that's about where I see them them finishing. I don't think they're good enough to compete with a Golden State or even a Houston. I mean, I, I have my concerns. I still think they get in the top five for sure yeah. based on kind of what what other teams are doing. Utah's going to fall off. Clippers are going to fall off, like you said, although not as far as uh, I think most people have writing them off. But, look, I mean, what happens with Westbrook? I mean, does does he just resort back to, like, when he had Durant kind of type of Westbrook, but like a less good Durant. I don't like, I don't understand. Like he just, he went from sharing the ball with the best score in the league to doing literally everything. Does he just like pretend that never happened? I don't, I don't really understand exactly how it's going to work if, or they're still going to center everything around Westbrook and just hope that George like capitalizes on whatever chances he gets. Or when Westbrook's on the bench, I think, Billy Donovan's going to have to figure that out. And that Donovan's a good coach. I think they'll figure something out and be obviously, I think they'll be a 50 win team. if just barely, but I just, I wonder what happens to MVP Westbrook. Does he go away or does Paul George just take a severely diminished role because it has to be one or the other, right? Who has a, who going into next year has the biggest drop off from MVP for James Harden or Russell Westbrook? You know, it's it's a good question, and it's just, you know, look, Harden's going to have to share the ball a lot. He's probably going to be starting at the two instead of the one, so that's, like, the obvious choice because he's switching back to his old position, but at the same time, I mean, Westbrook literally did everything, Julian, everything. I don't know if they keep that straight up because – I, I mean, look, I could be wrong, but to me, it just seems like OKC's one goal last year was to win Westbrook an MVP, mm-hmm. and they accomplished it. And that was able to help them get leverage in bringing in another star in Paul George. But now, I don't know if they go back to square one or if they hang on to – I just – I don't know what to expect from them. I think probably Harden is the answer, 
but at the same time, it's a politics game because Paul George, his contract is done at the end of the year, and you can risk yeah. losing him. And guess what? Westbrook hasn't signed his extension either. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest thing to watch is Westbrook hasn't signed his extension either. So it's a matter of what worked for you last year. How do we utilize what we've got new in Paul George? And also, how do we keep everybody happy? And, of course, winning is what fixes everything. But I don't think Paul George is going to be is going to stick around in dumpy Oklahoma City watching the Russell Westbrook show and get bounced in the first or second round when he can go to L.A., run the show, also get bounced in the first round probably, and still be making the same money. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Well, to, to that point, if Russell Westbrook joins him in L.A., they could at least turn that into a second-round uh, exit, and LeVar Ball will get, you know, I don't know. I figured LeVar Ball had to be mentioned in there somewhere. Also, I want to take a stab at answering my own question. I find it really interesting that you think that Harden would be the obvious answer. I My thinking was that because West, Russell Westbrook literally did everything for OKC, and I don't think he's going to have a repeat year where his teammates are going to be like, hey, let's get him a second straight MVP in a row. And now that he has a, another dependent scorer in Paul George, uh, I think that that MVP form will 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 drop. I'm not going to say Russell Westbrook's going to turn into a sixth man or a 15 point scorer, but you're not going. We're not going to get nearly the same Russell Westbrook uh, that we got last year. Whereas uh, James Harden, I think his his setup in in Houston is just a lot better. His offense, uh, the way the coaching system is with McAntoni, is a better situation. And not to mention, he gets a better point guard. Uh, around him in in Chris Paul will so even though he won't be at that point guard position I think his numbers will at least be a lot closer to MVP form than Russell Westbrook's will but I am with you on the fact that uh Russell Westbrook and 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 Oklahoma City Thunder as good as this acquisition is literally robbery highway robbery you get a top player for scraps it's not good enough to knock off the kings of the Western Conference, a stacked Western Conference, mind you. Now that we have all these superstar pairings, you know, last year the MVP race was headlined by Harden and Westbrook, who lost Howard and Durant. Now that they have superstars back in their lives, who's the favorite for MVP going into this year? Is it Kawhi? Is it Giannis? I, I don't know. I don't know. I think, I think and I'm, I'm on record saying that Giannis is – well, from this past year, two away, two years away from being an MVP. So maybe this year he starts having a really good year and he puts himself in that MVP. Uh, Kawhi Leonard, obviously, is, a, you know, obviously was a prime candidate for the MVP. He was a distant third, but I mean, Kawhi Leonard is, is arguably the best all around player in the league. And uh, hey, uh, there's a guy in Cleveland. He's pretty good, too. He's still in peak form. He has a pretty good chance at the MVP as well. Um, Jabron Ames, his name rhymes with that. I, mean, I, see, that I, I could see Kyle Korver competing for MVP. This year. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I mean, hey, I mean, the NBA is a three-point shooter's league, right? Why not? It is. It is. Real quickly, just real quick, with Jimmy Butler, how good is Minnesota this year? I that's a pretty good team. 
They're not top five. They're a playoff team. Top five in the league or top five in the West? They're not top five in the West. Really? I think they're six. Really? Who, who, do you have, who do you have ahead of them? I'd love to hear this. Actually, hmm. actually that's, a good, that's actually a good question. They might. You know what? They might actually. I might reconsider that. I think, they're getting, I think they're going to be in that 4-5 match. I really do. And look, their defense was horrible this year. They have a lot of young guys. Yeah. And, I mean, but it's, it's Thibodeau. You know, he was coaching the best team in the league for three straight years at one point in Chicago. So, he's got his guy, Jimmy Butler, back. They've added some nice pieces. Teague, veteran point guard. That's true. Jamal Crawford can still get buckets. And wow. I, mean, I, think I, I think I might have underrated the, the, Minnesota, the Minnesota Timberwolves. Wow. This is, this is year three for Towns. I mean, I think he's just ready to explode. I think he's going to be unbelievably good top 10 player in the NBA. This is the year for him. I'm excited for Minnesota. They're going to make the playoffs for sure, and I, I yes. think they could even fight for home court. I think they fall a little bit short, but I think they'll be in the hunt towards the end. In April. Are they a better team than OKC? I don't think so. I don't think so. It, it just it depends on a number of things, obviously, injuries and the dynamic of Westbrook and George, like we talked about earlier. And really, if guys like Wiggins and Towns truly step up and go out and win some ball games, which they haven't proven they can done quite yet, but it's it's intriguing. I'm telling you, I like I like what's going on in Minnesota. I really oh, no. do. I really no doubt, do. no doubt. I think with with what Tim Tom Thibodeau's been able. I mean, he's there now. It's to work with Jimmy Butler. Uh, Carl Carl Anthony Towns is a beast. They've got a really good setup there, and that's a team that's going to be great for years to come. Uh, whether or not they're going to – I mean, whether whether or not – when we start seeing them winning championships, that's a whole other different story. But I don't know. Wow, I completely forgot about Jeff Teague being there. And, I mean, it's one thing to be like, all right, you have a good young core. You add Jimmy Butler. It would be good. But you're adding some solid veterans around them. That's a team. That's, that's a great recipe. You know what? I will put them at five. I'll put them at five. I'm glad I could convince you. All right, 30 minutes in. We got to get to some baseball, but just real quickly, should the Rockets really trade for Melo? Do you think that's a good idea? <laughs> I'm just laughing because you you did. <laughs> for those of you who are familiar with our past episodes, uh, you know, at least the one where uh, Jake Lapin thought of, like, what, 40 players better than, than Carmelo Anthony, and, and now thinking of Carmelo potentially being on his team. Oh man, and and think about it: three guys who really want the ball in their hand. Yeah, he play for the Houston. Rockets. Let, me, let me just tell you right now: if Melo comes to the Rockets, the ball is not going to be in his hands nearly as much as it's been in his career. And, and that's something he has to accept. It just based on all the talks they've had that the trade is on the two yard line. I mean, and the fact that he wants to join his buddy Chris Paul in Houston. If that's not admitting that, okay, I'm willing to take this Chris Bosh diminished role, third string, then if, that, if that's not a sign, then I don't know what is, honestly. Like, look, Melo, you are a great scorer. You are. Well, at least in the past you've been. But there's no way in hell you are taking the ball out of Harden or Chris Paul's hands, literally unless – they are both decapitated. 
I'm telling you, he is spotting up, and he can create off of spotting up, but he is not running that offense maybe just a few minute stretches when Harden needs a break or Chris Paul needs a break. But that is it, I'm telling you. He has to accept that role or it will not work. And I'm all for acquiring talent, like we said, in this era of the Warriors' domination. I get it, and I think I'll be happy either way because this offense will hum with Ryan Anderson at the four. It really will. That won't be an issue. But adding Melo as just another guy who can potentially take over at some point if Harden's struggling like he did in game six, it sounds good in theory, but he really has to buy in that he is the third option. And he's already – look, he already has had Mike D'Antoni as his coach, and it did not go well. The second he got hurt, they started winning because Jeremy Lin started going off with Lin's sanity because D'Antoni is the point guard whisperer. So it's already hasn't worked once, and the fact that they're both willing to work this out is a good sign, but it doesn't mean it'll work out necessarily. Like, things could change. So that's a huge concern of mine, the fact that they've already had a falling out. So unless Melo is legitimately ready to say, okay, I'm the third option, then I do not want this trade to happen. But signs are pointing to the fact that he is, and if he truly is, then I think it's a great move for the Houston Rockets. You can't turn down a guy like Carmelo Anthony. Very, very quickly, just trying to remember where I read this, but uh, Mike D'Antoni, I think, was asked about his relationship with, uh, with Carmelo. And he did acknowledge, yeah, I mean, there was a little bit of a falling out in New York, but it seems as if the two don't necessarily, like, hate each other. Like, you know, you'll have players who, like, you know, I'm not playing for that coach at all. He's a terrible coach, so-so. It's just that, you know, Mike wanted to play a certain way. Melo wanted to play a certain way. And as you've already acknowledged, too, if Melo is willing to be that secondary guy, he's willing to come to Houston to do this, part of it has to mean he's accepted that Mike D'Antoni, I'm going to have to kind of play his way and adjust to being this secondary player. And, I mean, I don't know if it's just because I'm thinking about this a little positively, but Carmelo Anthony, as a secondary player, you, you, all these people are so occupied with, with James Harden and Chris Paul, you free the game up and maybe Carmelo Anthony is a spot-up shooter or, you know, you give him some opportunities just to shoot. I don't know. I mean, if you don't have to rely on him as much, that's a deadly secondary option. And going back to that Golden State-Houston series, that's a shootout. It's a shootout. Yeah, I mean, this is this is an overly simplistic way to look at it. But just imagine – the Knicks playing the Spurs, right? And you got Carmelo Anthony being guarded by Kawhi Leonard. And who's who's he going to kick it out to? Derrick Rose? Ron Baker? I mean, Justin Holiday, right? Now think of it as Kawhi and the Spurs versus Rockets and Kawhi on James Harden. You got Danny Green maybe on Chris Paul. And then you have Mello on LaMarcus Aldridge. I don't know, Bertans, like literally think about it. It, it. It's it's a huge step for Melo having the first, not the first premier defender, but the first two premier defenders already occupied. That give, That's something Melo has never seen in his career, and that's intriguing to me. He could end up very well saving his career 
off that and not just being this money grubber who ended up, you know, being this player that Jake Lapin did not see as a top 40 player because he played in New York. Any, uh, any last minute things you want to get in on this NBA offseason? maybe a surprising sign or a low key brilliant signing before we move on here to baseball? Uh, I won't point out a brilliant signing. I'll just point out how sad the Eastern conference is because obviously all the, all, pretty much most of the all-stars have departed over to the Western conference. And as good as Boston looks going into, I mean, they look pretty decent with, I mean, Isaiah Thomas is still there. Gordon Hayward is there. That being said, they had to, they had to get rid of Avery Bradley to make that work. Look at the Eastern conference. It's still Cleveland's to win. Yeah. Boston is not going to topple them. Toronto, they, they locked up uh, uh, Kyle Lowry <laughs> in the offseason. They lost Patrick Patterson, which I mean, I know, Patrick Patterson is one way, but it was a decent secondary player for them. They they locked up Sergio Baca and they have decent they have a decent team, but they're not gonna do much of anything. Maybe Milwaukee makes another step this year, but a lot of there's a bunch of teams there that are decent, but they're just it's a it's a barren wasteland in the Eastern Conference, as far as I'm concerned, when you're comparing it to the Western Conference. And maybe it's time for all of us to start, you know, just getting rid of our Eastern bias and Get that NBA league pass and just watch more Western Conference games because it's just going to be way more fun. Yeah, I think I saw um, I saw an article saying that the West has two could make two All Star teams that would be yeah. better than the Eastern All Star team based on last year's player rankings. Uh, one of those guys to leave the East was Paul Millsap to Denver. I think Denver makes the playoffs this year. I love that Millsap Jokic pairing. I think Ooh. that could cause some serious damage. Uh, also. Low key signing I did like was KCP to the Lakers. I found it was interesting. Obviously, he got into a little bit of legal trouble. Pistons let him go. One year deal out in LA. I want to see what he can do because he's playing for big money this time. And also, Swaggy P on the Warriors, I think, should be a lot of fun. Swaggy P. I mean, we're in a time where Javal McGee has a ring. Yeah. Yeah. It's based. We're basically at the point where, like, what uh, kooky players can hop onto the Warriors and win a ring now? That's that's where we are. And Swaggy P appears to be the next in line along with Omri Caspi. All right, let's get on to some baseball. All-Star break, obviously. Jillian, did you watch any of uh, the festivities from this past week? I caught a bit of the, uh, the home run derby. Uh, I usually make it a point to try and at least watch some of the festivities. Uh, I don't end up watching all the All-Star games, but – this is a good time of the year for me because I, don't, I, I believe I've mentioned it on the show, or if you know me enough, you'll know this. There's so many games in Major League Baseball, it's really hard for me to give a damn in the first half of the year. But the All-Star break is here, which means I can my, my give-a-damn meter is slowly starting to creep up, which means teams could, you know, they could start to get hot during the All-Star break. They could find a way to claw into that wild card spot. Or... They cement their position as division leaders. So, you know what? I'm happy the All-Star break is, is here because I can start to give way more of a damn about baseball than I would. Not, I mean, I mean you, you're already way ahead of me in that trek. But, uh, no, I, I, I caught a bit of the All-Star game festivities. Uh, I'm happy to see Aaron Judge. I'll, I'll, I'll divulge a little bit more on him later. Uh, but, uh, no, you know, looks like there was some, some decent activity going on there and, and a lot of bats and, and – 
this was like what the first year without uh, without that uh, that crazy rule about a winner of uh, the All Star game gets home field advantage in, in Major League Baseball. It was it was the first time in a long time, and we're gonna get to that later. I uh, as an employee of MLB Network, I'm inclined to disagree. <laughs> That baseball is boring the first half, especially not the way it's been going for my Houston Astros, who reached 60 wins before the All-Star break. Pretty phenomenal achievement for them. Six All-Stars total, but it didn't really help the American League's cause. Correa, Springer, and Altuve all 0 for 2. Altuve now 0 for 8 in All-Star games. The last Houston Astro to get a hit in an All-Star game was for the National League, as a matter of fact, Hunter Pence back in 2011. Uh, Chris Davinsky did throw a scoreless inning, though, and he was a late-minute ad. He's part of the new wave of uh, relief aces, and the guy's a stud. Well-deserved. Glad he was able to sneak in due to injury, perhaps, but nonetheless, good for him. Um, home run derby. Aaron Judge, like you mentioned, dude is a monster. I'm not, I'm not positive he's actually a human being, Julian. I think he's a cyborg. They're the only other athlete I could ever think of there are two other athletes I can think of who I've ever given the title cyborg to. Calvin Johnson, and and only because of how mechanical and methodical this guy is, Peyton Manning. Those are the only, the only other athletes I've ever thought, you know what, this person may be a cyborg. When you think of baseball players, and you look at Aaron Judge's you know, type, his, his, his size, uh, and his ability to just crush stuff, like it's unlike anything I've ever seen. And I really want this guy to succeed. I know he had a little. He had a, a small lull uh, at the halfway point of the first half of the year, but this kid could very well be the face of the game as early as next year, because there's nobody, nobody really like him, and he is turning into the star player for the New York Yankees now. And I'm really happy he was able to win a home run derby, and maybe if he so chooses, this could be the beginning of him winning like three or four of these. Yeah, he's definitely an exciting player, especially earlier on when the Yankees were killing it. He was well on his way for being the face of MLB, still probably is. Uh, Yankees have cooled down a lot. Yes. We can talk about that in a second. Aaron Judge, though, look, he's, it's not just that he has the power. He's hitting 326, Julian. The guy's killing. He has triple crown numbers right now. And I think an important point to be made is a lot of people see him as this up-and-coming guy like, Rookie of the year, like for sure already. He's got it in the bag. He broke Joe DiMaggio's Yankees record for uh, rookie home runs in a season before the All-Star break. He's already beaten that record. But he's 25. And I'm not saying 25 is old because he probably still has 15 years ahead of him. But I think it's interesting. He's rookie of the year candidate, first All-Star game at 25. Bryce Harper just played in his fifth All-Star game. You know how old Bryce Harper is? 24. And Bryce Harper is a special case, but I just think that's an important distinction. He's not some bright, young guy. He's 25. He hit 170 last September, so I think the fact that he's labeled a rookie is he's like barely labeled a rookie, so I think that's also worth noting. Mm -hmm. But there's no arguing with the stats. Honestly, if he keeps this average up, he's, he's on his way to one of the all-time great seasons if he keeps his average up. Absolutely, man. I... I'm just happy to see that boy shine, man. I'm telling you, man. And and, for, and from a marketing standpoint, I mean, we're, we're starting to see how Major League Baseball has this problem. They have these star players like a Bryce Harper or a Mike Trout, 
and and I know they had that really cool commercial a few months ago where they showcased all those guys and, and the Mets rotation, and it seems as if not a lot of people are kind of driving for it, but it seems as if they have some kind of slight marketing problem where they have these stars, they're just not marketable. Maybe Aaron Judge is that player that breaks that mold. Maybe he's just exciting enough to get way more people outside of, you know, diehard MLB fans to really buy into. Maybe he could break that mold as well. Maybe I'm also just talking out of my ass. I don't know. It's one of those things where people say, uh, people who think the first half is boring anyway, maybe. They say that <laughs> MLB players aren't athletes. Look, Aaron Judge could be what? playing Sundays. I'll tell you that right now. Aaron Judge could be playing tight end every Sunday and would do a hell of a job. I'm curious, though, is he has he already run away with MVP in your mind, or is it still a competition? It's still a competition because it's the halfway point of the year, and I mean, it's, I mean with regards to home runs anyway, it's not like he's like 15 home runs up on anybody. I mean, it's very possible he could go through yet another rut during the year, and it ends up being close. That being said, as of right now, wins above replacement, offensive war, slugging percentage, home runs. Aaron Judge is leading all of that right now. Uh, and there's a whole bunch of other categories I can get into as well. But while I won't say he's he's run away with it and he's got that locked up, Aaron Judge, as of right now, is the front runner for AL MVP. I'd have to agree, and it depends on if the Yankees can finish off strong. May, maybe even not. We saw Trout win it last year when the Angels were a complete disaster. I think what's working in Judge's advantage is I think the next three candidates all come from the same team, and that is Springer, Altuve, and Correa. All three of them having phenomenal years. It's just everything going right for Houston right now. Destined to go wrong at some point, I'm sure. But I, I think – because they have six all-stars, because they have these three guys who are all killing it, it's hard to define one as the true MVP, kind of like the same situation, whereas it'd be hard to give Durant or Steph Curry the MVP. It's just so much star power coming from one team that it's hard to say, okay, that guy is the most valuable guy carrying that team because they're getting it from everywhere. But Springer's truly on historic pace to shatter all these records from the leadoff spot uh, the record for RBIs by a leadoff hitter is 100. And Springer's on pace to have like 132. I mean, that's just insane. And part of it is because, yeah, the Astros are that deep. They have phenomenal 7-8-9 production. And he's also got Altuve and Correa coming up right after him. So I think it's going to be hard for an Astro to take home MVP just because so many are doing so well. I really do. It's a lot closer in, in the National League if we're thinking of thinking of MVPs. I know I don't want to jump too far off in, in, in the schedule, but, I mean, you got well, I think Aaron Judge is, is the front runner there. Uh, I don't know if you, if you have a clear-cut uh, – sorry, a clear-cut MVP in that league in mind. One guy I'd like – I mean, right now he doesn't look like an absolute leader as of yet. But one guy who's always kind of sleeping under and he bats really well. One guy who I'd like to see kind of step up, get hot, and maybe make himself a case. Uh, I'd like to see Paul Goldschmidt do well and eventually get himself that MVP this year. It's a guy who's in the top 10 in war as well, uh, for war for position players as well, uh, and fourth in on-base percentage, uh, tied for 10th in slugging percentage. Uh, but right now, if I could pick a leader for that NL MVP, I think Joey Votto has a case of being an MVP as well. That's a guy who's in the top three in home runs as well. 
Uh, also uh, could be found in the top 10 for wins above replacement. Uh, Votto had a better batting average, though. That being said, I think Joey Votto was another candidate for NL MVP. I think it's a lot closer there. Yeah, I think it's much more of an open race. It's not It's not just between Aaron Judge or the Astros. Um, but Votto having a great year, like you said, the Reds, though, are just going to be completely out of it, and I think that yeah. takes him out of the picture for me as well. Goldie and the Diamondbacks are having a hell of a year, and thank God I'm happy for him that they're finally competing. Yes. And he's absolutely leading the charge, and I would not be surprised to see him hold up this trophy when it's all said and done. Another name I want to throw out there, I don't think he's quite there yet, but I think he's in the mix and could have a strong second half, and that's Nolan Arenado. And I think that's just because if voters just appreciate his defense, it's, it's just oh my God. historically great. He has a, has a new highlight every single day, and he's getting it done from the plate too. And the Rockies are also very much in this, in that crowded NL West. And it's, it's similar for the Dodgers like the Astros. You know, five all-stars, hard to pick a guy. Bellinger's great, uh, but probably already got Rookie of the Year, and I think that might sway some voters from giving him MVP votes. And same thing with uh, pitchers. He's probably not going to get a lot of MVP votes unless they have a truly dominant season. I think Kershaw could finish near the top of MVP voting, but I don't expect him to run away with it by any means. So I think Arenado has a shot if he has a strong second half to take away that hardware. Um, while we're talking about pitching Cy Young, I, I know I mentioned Kershaw. But you got, got to look out for Max Scherzer in the NL. Ooh, you're not wrong. I don't think you're wrong. I mean, I, I do th- I think I think Clayton Kershaw is going to end up being my pick for NL Cy Young. Uh, you know, obviously, year in, year out, he ends up being probably the best regular season pitcher. The playoffs could be a different story. That's a guy who brings it for those one six. Well, not, I was almost going to say 162 games, but he brings in the regular season, and I would not be surprised. But I, I'm with you on that. I think Max Scherzer... Uh, the dominant starter he is for Washington. That's another guy to look out for as well. Could be a nice one-two race for the rest of the year. But my pick is going to be Clayton Kershaw from here on out. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, uh, Kershaw was inactive for the All-Star game, so it didn't matter. But that would have been a very tough choice for Joe Madden who to pick. You know, Clayton Kershaw has never actually started an All-Star game. That's pretty crazy to think about. I never knew. That's crazy. For so long now. Um, I, I got to lean in favor of Scherzer. I just – they're both on pace to get 300 strikeouts, which hasn't been done since Pedro. I mean, that would be truly outstanding for both of them. That, and honestly, throw a dart, kind of like NBA. Just throw a dart, and either of them is very deserving. What about in the American League? Who are you looking at over there? Mm-hmm. Uh, only because, I mean, uh who did you pick? I think we might have the same one. Look, I'll just, I'll just keep it simple here. Sticking with the all-star starter theme, Chris Sale. This is his award yeah. to lose. And the thing is, though, it's been his award to lose for three straight years now, arguably. And he's lost it every time with horrible second halves. And I think part of that is just because the White Sox are so out of it that he was kind of out of it and he wasn't happy there. Now that he's in Boston, he's loving it. He's revived. There's new life and he's in a – baseball town there in first place i think he gets it done gets to cy young and i think he thanks dallas keichel who's nine and oh for getting hurt yeah chris sale now in boston he looks like a cut above if i say so myself 
I was actually surprised that you didn't end up picking Kygo, actually. I would have liked to have seen him be in the uh, the AL Cy Young guy. He's, I mean, he's just been out for too long. If he, unless he like comes back after All Star break and r- remains yeah. undefeated, I don't, I don't see it happening. But look, I mean, his numbers, what he done, he was, he was clearly on pace to get Cy Young. Absolutely. Two ERA hasn't lost a game, but he's been out for quite a while now. He's missed numbers starts, and I think that works heavily in Sales' favor. Um, moving on, we uh, I touched on it a little with Bellinger and rookies. Do you have any other rookies? Oh, wow. I almost forgot about rookies. I almost skipped over that. Uh, Bellinger would have been my guy in the NL, uh, in the American League. Uh, this is this is where B, not giving a damn about the first season, starts to show up. I don't have a pick for the AL. I mean, look, it's Aaron's judge. It's, I, it's well, not- yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, really? I, I mean, we put him on the MVP already. Yeah. I, it's hard to think of him as a rookie now because he's like 25. And, and he played last year, which I, I think is a rule. But he didn't play all that much last year. No, not that much. But, like, it's not like he was – he's, he's, he's not a rookie. He's played Major League Baseball before the season. That, that's well, how I feel about it. But I'm not well, going to argue that they give him this award because that rule exists and he's clearly deserving. I almost did not have an AL pick. I completely forgot about Aaron Judge being a rookie. That's how good he is. Any uh, any managers you want to toss out there? I, I I don't think there's any surprises here, at least uh, for me. Uh, I'm gonna give a vote to Dave Roberts in the NL, and in the American League. Uh, nah, I don't really have a vote in the. You know what's funny? If you consider I watched like enough Blue Jays games, I should have an AL pick. But that being said, uh, I think the fact that uh, Houston is is doing really well this year. I'll chalk it up to their manager as well. His yeah, name has completely AJ, slipped AJ. my mind, unfortunately. It, it's look, you, you can't argue with AJ Hinch. The Astros are rolling right now. I think that would be my pick as well, especially because no other team is like with even close to sixty games right now. I think AJ Hinch is the obvious answer, regardless of all the talent the Astros have. He's doing a good job managing it, and at one point in time, they had four of their opening day five starters from their rotation on the DL and barely skipped a beat. They've had a lot of guys fill in, and I think Hinch has done a tremendous job managing all those injuries in the bullpen. Got to give him the nod right now. As far as the NL, Dave Roberts, same thing. Dodgers, 61 wins. They are humming. If anyone has a chance, I think Bud Black, the Rockies, they've been bad for a number of years now. They're finally starting to get things going, looking like they ought to make the playoffs this year out west in the best division in baseball right now. So – I think that's an interesting name, and he will get some votes, but I think this is Hinch and Roberts awards mm-hmm. they're going to run away with when it's all said and done. Mm-hmm. Anything else on baseball? I got one for you. How about a bold prediction for the second half of the season? Okay. Anything. What you got? Anything. Hmm. Okay. Uh, this isn't nah. – in terms of a bold prediction for the rest of the year – I think the LA Dodgers have some kind of drop off and that NL West ends up going to Arizona. I think right now, I think the Dodgers have this lead and I mean, it's maybe going too well for them. It's totally possible that maybe in August they just drop and that NL West becomes a, a dog fight. That is be my bold prediction. That is incredibly bold. That's the type of boldness that got you that Toronto Maple Leafs shirt that you're supposed to be wearing right now when going with the Cavs to win the finals. 
was blue. Not sure what you were thinking there. Um, I I think all the division leaders right now will hold on. That's my bold prediction. It's not even that bold. But I'm going to take it a step further. The Yankees, who got off to a great start, I I have them missing the playoffs. And it'll really be spectacular. There's, In terms of the wild card, it's hard to imagine the Yankees not grabbing at least the second wild card. But sticking with the theme of bold, I think the Royals finally are in a groove. And that's a good team that won the World Series a couple of years ago and still have a lot of those pieces. So you can't really count them out. Tampa Bay's in the mix. I don't know if I trust them. And you're going to like this, Julian. I think Toronto just dug such a deep hole at the beginning that when it's all said and done, I think they can make it interesting, maybe even sneak in as a second wild card. I really wow, really? Really? Because is underperforming right now, but Smoke is on fire. Donaldson is nowhere to go but up. Still got Batista, Morales, Travis will come back from injury. Too low. That lineup's too good. Okay, well- the pitching has underperformed as well. Liriano's having a tough year. Hap's not having an as amazing year as he was last year. Sanchez can't stay healthy, but if he can get those blisters in order, this team has the pieces to do it. They are a good team that started off terribly. I think there's enough time they can make it happen. I'm not saying they will, but I will not be surprised if they do. That's funny because my not-so-bold prediction was that I think it's not so bold I think the Blue Jays have dug themselves so deep into a hole, they're not going to touch 500 baseball maybe until the rest of the year. And I think it's going to get to a point because management, the management that's in place there, they they pretty much wanted to, more or less wanted to do this since they came in. I'm thinking about like uh, Mark Shapiro, the president. They've they've been looking to angle, they've been angling to try to, you know, start the teardown of the Toronto Blue Jays. And I know you can't deal away Troy Tulowitzki, but Josh Donaldson's a guy who's picked up some trade talks. And I think the Jays are going to be in a position where, you know what, this team might not be good enough to compete anymore. And we're having that bad of a year. Maybe we're starting to sell. Maybe it's time for us to sell off our assets. And Josh Donaldson goes to a contender. I don't think they'll deal Strowman because he's a young enough player you can build around. But Josh Donaldson's a guy who leaves. Yeah, Donaldson's name has come up a lot in trade talks. But I think I think it's they're just gauging interest. I think well, they're only five games under. They're... They're not. Oh, for sure. They're not. They're not out of it. There are a lot of teams in worse shape. I think they hang. They hang on, and finish out the season, and then they take it from there, depending on what happens. Um, we're at the hour point almost, anyway. But it wouldn't be an episode of the Face Off without doing a little bit of our big deal or no deal uh, game that we have done a lot in the past, and we're going to start with. Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor. A lot of hype going on in this fight. Seen them yapping at each other on their tour as they uh, promote their fight coming up. It feels like this has the most hype since arguably Pacquiao Mayweather. I'm wondering, Julian, do you think this fight will end up being a big deal or no deal? Well, the fight's going to end up being a big deal because of the guys that are... Well, in terms of hype and and the pay-per-view sales, yes... In well, terms of the by itself. Let me just interrupt you really quick. The hype is leading into the fight. I'm saying it when it's all said and done. When it's all said and done? No, because it's going to be a no. It's not going to be that big of a deal because if you've seen enough of Floyd Mayweather's fights, you know how he is. He doesn't go out and say, you know what, I'm going to knock you out. He gets his jabs in 
and he just defends, 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 evades, evades, evades. Not to mention that that Conor McGregor going up against uh, the undefeated champ that is Floyd Mayweather, uh, strictly boxing. There's no going to the ground, no ground and pound, nothing like that. I don't think he's gonna. I don't think he's gonna find some some upset victory in him and and find a way to beat Mayweather. That being said, just looking at this fight. See, here's the thing with between this fight, the difference between this fight and 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 Mayweather Pacquiao. Like those Mayweather Pacquiao, those were two fighters who were so good in their primes. We really want to see them go at it. And and years later, uh, Mayweather way past his prime. He's clearly just doing this for the money. Conor McGregor, same deal. And to be quite honest, I really don't care for either guy. Usually in these fights, I think, you know what, uh, Mayweather, so so maybe I'll, I'll go for, you know, for just throwing out there, Oscar De La Hoya, for example. Or, you know what, you, Pacquiao's kind of so-so, you know what, I'll, fight, I'll side with Mayweather this time. In a perfect world, I don't want to pick either guy. I just want both these guys to just kind of knock each other out and they just rule the fight like a no decision or something. There's nothing to like about either of these guys. What's also making me sick is just seeing these uh, these little promo runs that are going on now. I have no interest in buying into that hype. So I'm not going to be buying uh, any pay-per-view to watch this fight. I didn't say I wouldn't watch the fight. I'm just not going to pay pay-per-view for it. Oh, I'll definitely be watching, and this was probably the first fight that I'll pay to watch since Pacquiao Mayweather, and I'm with you. Mayweather's getting up there. He's 40 years old now, but I, I, I just I don't see McGregor getting to him. He's just he's an escape artist, and he's damn good at it, and that's how he's gotten to where he is today. And McGregor's so cocky, he already gave himself this, I'm going to knock him out in under four rounds. Uh, which is really just a death sentence for him because that's not how you're going to beat Mayweather because he's going to keep running and running and running and get his hits in. So I I think people are going to be disappointed just like they were for Mayweather Pacquiao, people who don't truly appreciate that boxing isn't an animalistic punk metal go get them. It's really it's more of a smooth jazz uh, where you pick and choose your moments and – Mayweather's the best at it, and there's a reason he's the best at it, even if it's not the most aesthetically pleasing to younger people who are not really familiar with the sport. I, I just see it happening all over again. It's hard to imagine Mayweather losing, probably because he's never lost in near 50 tries. So, I don't know. It, it, I'll eat my words if McGregor comes out and gets it done. I will, but I'd be surprised. Yeah. Uh, just let's just get to the fight and just get this over with. <laughs> okay, let's let's go to the next topic. Okay, the ESPYS last night. Good time, good show. Not a lot of surprising uh, awards given out. Most people were pretty deserving. Not really a lot of snubs or surprises. But there was an interesting moment in the monologue, and I know you're with me on this, Julian. Peyton Manning calls out Kevin Durant. Says the uh, women's. U.S. gymnastics team did so well that Durant wants to join the team, and KD was not having it. He did not appreciate it, was not amused in any way whatsoever. Is this a big deal or is it no deal? No big deal. Uh, one, I mean, one, <laughs> just watching it live, well, sorry, not live. I watched it after the fact. Uh, watching it, I, for about five seconds, I thought, okay, this is hilarious, and Kevin Durant looks really pissed. 
Second, six, seven, and eight, I thought, oh my God, this is probably a joke. Like Kevin Durant probably, you know, was asked to look really pissed off. And and I mean, the fact that they got Russell Westbrook in on this too, this, something had to be up. And sure enough, uh, I saw this tweet out today. Crispy Haynes uh, from ESPN tweeted out, in fact, that it was a joke. Like it was a setup. So, you know, it, Kevin Durant wasn't actually pissed. He totally bought it, totally sold it to everyone else. And we all bought it. But yeah, it's not actually a big deal. And I didn't think it was going to be a big deal anyway. I don't know, man. If if Kevin Durant was truly acting in that moment, then I think Thunderstruck, the movie, would have been a lot better because <laughs> that was a pretty convincing acting job. He looked legitimately pissed, and then I thought Peyton looked legitimately nervous after saying it, and then Russ did a real good job of just covering his mouth as soon as possible. I don't know, man. If, if Haynes says it's uh, all a joke, then I believe him, but in the moment, I really thought it might be a big deal because if Kevin Durant can't laugh about that, then that's a serious problem for him because it's not going to go away. He's not going to live this down. It's going to keep on coming. What he's done to the entire sport, it's going to keep on coming. So let's hope he was joking. Let's hope. All right, what else we got? The All-Star game, like we mentioned earlier, no longer decides home field advantage, as people know. It used to decide whether the American League or National League won, that whichever team represented that league in the World Series would have home field advantage. Now it'll be determined just by best record, like they do in the NBA. Julian, is this a big deal or no deal? It's a big deal. I mean, you're, we can now go into a World Series and, and have these two great teams there and realize, okay, you know what? The best team actually has home field advantage. So I can agree with that. That being said, I didn't mind the fact that the world that sorry that the All Star Game had the home field advantage for the World Series in the balance. I think that was just one. It just made the All Star Game for MLB way different than all these other games, which were just basically just for posterity. Uh, you know, everyone kind of half asses the game. The NBA game one I like because at least by the second half, sometimes people realize, hey, you know what? This can still be a game, and you get to see someone really show out and play. In Major League Baseball, we've seen quite a few iconic moments uh, with the game mattering as much as it does uh, for that home field advantage. So I'm actually kind of sad to see it go. It's a big deal. I absolutely 100% agree with you on everything there. Look, it's probably better for whichever teams actually do make it and whether they're deserving of home field or not. But that was the one thing that set this All-Star game apart. Like the NBA All-Star game is a joke. Nobody plays defense and God, don't get me started on the Pro Bowl. I mean, who even watches that shit anymore? It's the worst, the worst of any pro league. And now already, like, we're hearing, like, these ideas of, like, Bryce Harper says, oh, we should have captains now that it doesn't count. So, like, you could pick your team. So, like, maybe he could face Max Scherzer because he's always wanted to do that. Like, look, I, no. Like, baseball has such a rich history, and a lot of that is AL versus NL. I mean, they are – truly indistinguishable. I mean, they're truly distinguishable. Excuse me. Yes. Interleague play used to be such a rarity, and now that it's not, we've kind of lost this competition. But I think the players did a pretty good job. Like, when Cano hit the go-ahead on run, it looked like the players were legitimately excited to win that game. 
So I like that, and I just I just hope they can keep that fire because it's we're one year removed. But think about 15 years from now, a completely new generation of players. Are they going to feel that same way about winning or losing that game, or are they going to go for behind the back catches and who knows what else like trick plays just like they do in the NBA. I, that's not what I want to see. I want to, I want to see a competitive game. I think that's the one thing that the baseball star game had going for it over all these other all-star weekends. All right. Lastly, Julian, I hate to, that we always got to bring up this guy, but we do Lonzo ball in the summer league has a not so great first game two fifteen from the field has a triple double the second game, but we're talking, uh, Rajon Rondo, triple-double, 11, 11, 11 across the board. And then the other night, 36, 11, and 8. A huge game, never been done before. 30 and 10 assist game in summer league history. But he had a big baller game and some not-so-big baller shoes. Wearing the Kobe's instead of the BBBs. What do you think about that? Big deal or no deal? It's summer league, so it shouldn't be a big deal. But it's LeVar Ball's kid wearing KD. Sorry, I wear Kobe's. It's a big deal. It's a big deal in my mind. This is a guy who is is the face of the. Well, actually, you could make the argument that it's either him or LeVar Ball who's the face of the big baller brand. But they've been championing that brand for how many months? Yeah. And the one great game in Summer League, mind you, the one great game Lonzo Ball has. In in Nike's the 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 company that like literally threw you out of the well maybe not literally but they pretty much said they laughed off the idea of coming together with the big baller brand you know those are the guys you're fighting against that's a huge deal in my mind that being said I mean it is it is summer league I mean these games aren't really these games don't really matter I mean the good prospects they're supposed to be good that's expected of them. Obviously, the first game where Lonzo Ball uh, did not play well, uh, that stuck out like a like that stood out like a sore thumb. And then he ends up getting the triple double, which I believe is the first triple double recorded in a summer league game since '08. But that's also around when they started counting stats for real, anyway. So who knows? Maybe someone had a triple double before that. But for him to ball out in in, in Nikes. I don't know about you, but I think Nike. If someone, if I'm working at Nike right now, I have an ad idea that I'm quickly typing up. We're one of those like anti big baller brand ads, so it's a big deal. I'm just glad triple doubles are still a big deal because I was worried those would uh, fade out after Russell Westbrook last year. Um, Let it go. No, I look. I guess there are worse shoes he could have worn than Kobe's. Let's put it that way. If he was wearing Kobe's. <laughs> Or, you know, Hardens or Starburys or who knows what. I mean, Kobe's Kobe's for the Lakers. But you're right. That's that's pathetic that they're going to charge that much for that shoe and that he's not even going to wear them. I think that's a bigger storyline than anything going on the rest of Summer League, honestly. And I want to get this uh, weird brag in. Despite just starting a job at MLB Network, I have watched every single Rockets Summer League game, as I always do. It's an annual tradition. And I, I want I want all the credit for that. I do. Credit. Thank you. Thank you very much. Julian, this was fun, man. It's been too long. It has been way too long. Uh, can we can we make this a weekly thing? It will absolutely be a weekly thing. The face-off is back, folks. For better or for worse, we're here. 
doing these live YouTube Skype sessions, Google Hangouts rather. Got to give the right people credit. Uh, we're also going to get the audio going uh, on Mixcloud and iTunes as we always do. Throwing a little bit of the uh, music, the intro, so we can get that going because we know that's what people people like. That's what the people want to hear. Mm-hmm. Uh, Julian, anything else you want to add? Uh, you know, follow us on our socials. Uh, my Twitter handle has changed. It is no longer Julian the Intern. It is JKA McKenzie. As has yours. As has mine. Uh, at Jake Lapin underscore MLB. Was hoping to get a lot more followers that way instead of SYR, but uh, so far I've only gotten a couple. But it's early. It's early. I think once we hit the MLB playoffs, things will things will change. Things will start going up. We'll see. We'll see. For sure, Ben. And hopefully around that time, that's when this uh, podcast will start heating up again. Well, I mean, we'll definitely be like blazing at that point, but then it'll be like a heating inferno come like September, October. Sounds good to me. Guys, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. We can't do it without you. Jake Lapin signing off for Julian McKenzie as well. Thanks for watching the return of the face-off. It is good to be back. We will see you next week. Have a good one. Thanks for